I'm going to hit the record button here. Thanks for the report on uh, VBS, Jim. I got to see you know, a lot of the setup. We were here a couple nights trying to change light bulbs in the parking lot, so that was exciting. And uh, we got a couple chains, so that was good. But uh, I know there's a lot going on. I wanted to uh, I read Randy, Pastor Randy's update on Facebook this week, and he's had kind of a, he describes it as a roller coaster ride, and he's having to get off some medicine and get on some other. Uh, I think from what he said, uh, his wife, Julie, got to retire. So she retired recently, and he was on her insurance. So now I think he's transitioning to only a VA insurance, it sounds like. And so he's having to change medicine. So anyway, we need to continue to pray for Pastor Randy and his well-being and uh, our sister Sherry. Uh, so so sorry to hear that, Jim. I mean, uh, she's your help meet. And so to have her down, I know, is a burden for your house and your family. And uh, thanks for the touching uh, mention about uh, sharing the gospel this week. It, <clears throat> that was really sweet. Was it with the uh, puppets or? Uh... No, no. I got uh, we got serious. I told the kids this is the most important truth we're going to discover this week because hmm. the theme was archaeology. You know, we were in Israel mm-hmm. digging for truth about Jesus, and we and every night we would talk about different truths. How you know he came as he was promised, all this kind of stuff. So. On Thursday, is uh, we we uncovered the most important truth, you know, about the gospel plan. So, uh, so yeah, I got serious and I got down. I said we all said Indian style in a circle. Wow. And, yeah, you guys are right next door here. Yeah, we was in the Berean room. In the Berean room, and they had kind of archaeological tent set up, and they. I, I know him and Pam. They had on all the gear and the helmets, and they had they looked like pretty authentic yeah. stuff. Yeah, Pam. Is, I've never worked with Pam with the kids. I think you know you have Pat. I never taught in the same class. Man, she is a master is. working with kids. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. good at it. I learned a lot from her. That's sweet. When you said Belinda was here every night, every and night. she really uh, yeah. Belinda Belinda has a zeal for the Lord, and so we're thankful for her. I think she has to work every other weekend, so yeah, that's probably why she's not here. We need to pray for Tom. I haven't talked to him for a week or so, so hopefully he's doing okay. And uh, if you haven't got a handout, uh, I've got a handout there on the table, Pat. Did you, did you get one? Okay. We're going to be in Jeremiah 16, but this is cool. Before you go to Jeremiah 16, go go to Matthew 24. And uh, so I was just kind of praying how to start our class this morning. And uh, I looked up here in John, or I'm sorry, Matthew 24. And uh, I love it when the Lord does this in my life. And I think you probably do too when it happens but uh, so I was just meditating on how to start our class and uh, after I went to Matthew 24 and we're going to look at 19 uh, then I looked in my study Bible here and in uh, Jeremiah 16 it referenced Matthew 24 19 so that was just it was just really cool for me to have that happen and uh, just I feel like God kind of confirmed some thing but here in Matthew 24 
and in verse 19, uh, nope, it's 15, 1915 is where I wanted to start. I'm sorry, 2415. There we go. Here it says, uh, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Who's that in reference to, this abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about? The Antichrist, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, we'll soon see that this is a kind of a tribulation passage spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And then it says in verse 19, And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the house or neither on the Sabbath days, Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And uh, so we're going to read in uh, Jeremiah some things that I believe connect uh, in a doctrinal, prophetical situation. But wh- why do you think in verse 19 it says, Woe to them that are with child and have uh, give suck in those days. This time of tribulation, why would that be difficult for a mother with babies? What do you think? It's always difficult. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they were running or just moving. Yeah, yeah. All that. Yeah, that's the burden. They're bugging a kid. Yeah, so if if you're having trouble, you know, finding food, if there's famine, you know, that's going to be difficult to have children. If, uh, you know, if your husband's at war, you know, that's going to be difficult on moms with babies. And so, uh, so it's a time of great tribulation, and it's as bad as it's ever been since, you know, it's the worst it's ever been since the beginning of time of the world or ever. And except those days should be shortened, nobody could survive them. So we're talking about disease, we're talking about famine, we're talking about natural disasters, we're talking about pestilence. It would be very difficult to have children in those days. And so now, with kind of that thought in mind, turn to Jeremiah 16. So just in a very... Uh, a very practical way it would so I mean Pam you're right it's always I know when when we were having kids you know I had older people say you know I can't imagine bringing up kids in these difficult times and and as my children have children it's like wow you know those kids are not going to, you know, experience America like I did. And you, each generation seems to be kind of growing, not just a little worse, but almost exponentially worse. 
and yet uh, it's in us to have and bear children. But look at Jeremiah. Somebody read uh, the first two verses of Jeremiah 16, if they would. Give me some water, please. Uh, Pam Anderson, do you have those? Je- uh, Jeremiah 1 and 2, 16, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came also unto him, saying, Thou shalt not take thee away, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. And the next verse, too, if you would. For thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place, and concerning their mothers that bear them, and concerning their fathers that begot them in this land. Yeah, so <clears throat> I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did not marry either. Uh, uh, his bride is the church, and so he will be uh, married. He's a spouse to his bride right now. But uh, Jeremiah, to, to my knowledge, is the only person in the Bible who was told not to get married. And that's what it says in verse 2, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, and neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. And and that's a little bit like what we read in, in Matthew, is that, you know, you know, woe to you that have children and give suck in those days. So in a very practical way, part of the reason he was told not to marry or have children is just how difficult it was. It, it was right near where, you know, their Jerusalem is besieged about with the Babylonian army. And so there's war going on and there's famine. Uh, we read, I think it was one or two chapters ago about the drought that caused a famine. And uh, so there's just a horrific famine. So there's not uh, food around. And so God tells him not to marry or have children. And it's very similar to the tribulation period in another way in that uh, uh, in the tribulation period, I think I gave this on your handout, that he is a type or he pictures the 144,000 Jewish males in the tribulation. So there's Jewish men. It uh, goes in your blank there. I think I gave you a blank there. <clears throat> so uh, there wouldn't be time to raise a family before the destruction. And uh, so Jeremiah pictures these 144,000 Jewish males in the tribulation period. And and there's a couple places in Revelation that talks about that. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And uh, rather their their mission is to be... uh, (coughs) Excuse me. You know, uh, one of the famous... There's just a handful of famous passages about marriage in the Bible. One of them is 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, it says, in fact, let's all go there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. Because 1 Corinthians 7 is kind of the whole chapter is about marriage. And look down at verse 35. This is 1 Corinthians 7.35. This is where it really speaks 
to uh, some reasons. 35 says, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. And that little last phrase, attending upon the Lord without distraction, if, if you're married, uh, Leo, I know you serve your wife and you make sure she her needs are met. And so, Amita, I've been to your house and you have served us food and you're, you're the keeper of the home. And uh, so when you're married, you minister to each other. Um, but all the while, we need to attend upon the Lord without distraction. So we've all we've all decided to set our alarm and take a shower and get dressed and come here this morning, so that we can attend upon the Lord. And we've got other things that are distracting, but we we've, we've said no to them and we've said yes to this. And so uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah, for him to get married, uh, there's so many distractions in his life that uh, he couldn't attend upon the Lord without distraction. So God God told him not to get married uh, so that he could attend to the Lord without distraction. So anyway, that that's what these Jewish males in the tribulation period uh, do. They, they, uh, they preach this everlasting gospel. And anyway, I just, <clears throat> I think this is a great verse, but... Uh, these next few verses talk about just the, the grim reality of the daily life during this uh, time that Jeremiah lives in verse 4 back in Jeremiah 16 they, uh, they shall die of grievous deaths they shall not be lamented neither shall they be buried but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth and they shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine and their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven of heaven and for the beasts of the earth and so they're they're not even to there's so many people dying of the famine and the and the war and the sword they're just leaving them lay on the earth they're not even burying them the the birds of the air and the beasts of the field um eat on the carcasses so anyway just a horrific time and uh, now here in verses 6 and 7 this was actually connected to their idolatry Uh, Jim would you read 16 verses 6 and 7 Yeah. both the great and the small shall die in this land they shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them, nor cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them. Neither shall men tear themselves for them in mourning to comfort them for the dead. Neither shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or for their mother. And this seems a little bit strange to me, maybe to all of us, that you would cut yourself for the dead uh, may, maybe we would think about shaving our head, maybe. Uh, but then it even talks about tearing themselves. So there's some kind of self-mutilation. And and so uh, I gave you a couple of Old Testament references. Let's look at the Leviticus 19.28. 
we'll look at both of these in our Old Testament because they Exodus Leviticus number okay Leviticus 19.28 Pat maybe I'll have you read these if you would 19.28 of Leviticus okay. yeah 19.28 You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead nor print any marks upon you I am the Lord so these are things that I believe that some of these uh, Gentile nations were doing and he's telling his people not to do that I, I don't know exactly what that would look like you know, we, we know, um, have, have any of you ever seen people who, maybe uh, who, people who are, have addictions that cut themselves? And uh, we seen a lady, I think at Worlds of Fun one time, and, and we were behind him in line, and, and I, never, I never talked to her. I didn't know really what to say, but, I mean, she had scars all up and down her arm, and I think she had shorts on, so even her legs, like in her thighs, she had all these scars, and some, I mean, she looked like hundreds of little cuts, and I think maybe uh, to do that, just the pain maybe relieves some stress, or I've read a little bit about it. We... We actually have a pamphlet by Reformers Unanimous about cutting. And I, I did look at that some. And so so maybe there's a, <clears throat> some relief created by that, but it uh, God is saying not to do that for the dead. I don't know if anybody have any other comments about that. Um, no, whenever uh, was it Elijah, the prophets of Baal, they were cutting themselves. That's right. They were trying to get on Mount Baal. Carmel. Yeah. Yeah, the false prophets were cutting themselves. That's right. They trying to invoke favor from their false gods. Yeah. And so, anyway, it is connected with pagan worship, and I think there's more there than than what I'm communicating, but uh, look, look. I think some of it has to do with the guilt and grief, too. Guilt and grief? Yeah. That uh, they may want to harm themselves just because yeah. they're feeling just bothered so much mm-hmm. to do that. In some way... It, who, who was it? The... Uh, Uh, starts with an M. They they used to whip themselves. Oh, the monks or yeah, yeah. What, what is it called? The monastics. Yeah. Monastics, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They used to whip. That's themselves. a good point. Yeah. yeah. The flesh was evil and trying to. Yeah. 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 Uh, kind of flogging or. Yeah. Yeah or. Yeah, I've heard they even wear like certain coats with sharp things on them and so they just feel uncomfortable and do some self-harm look at the other one the Deuteronomy 14.1 Pat if you'll read that one too Deuteronomy 14.1 it says something similar to the Leviticus ye are the children of the Lord your God you shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. 
Yeah, so it, in both of these passages, it says not to do these things f- for the dead. And so, uh, so not only was the people in Jeremiah's day not to lament the death, uh, the, because it was God's judgment, and uh, I, I know we have just kind of even with the legal system. I know early on when I was going into the jail, uh, you know, Brian would say that we got to be careful not to circumvent judgment. We don't. We don't try to, you know, get favor with the judge for some person or we kind of let God's judgment run its course through the legal system. And here God's saying, you know, individually, don't don't feel sorry for these people that die. That's that's his judgment. And don't cut yourselves for them like the heathen do. And don't shave yourself bald and don't tear or flog yourself like you mentioned the... Uh, monastic monks would do and so uh, anyway so these these are uh, good instruction then in verses 8 and 9 back in Jeremiah 16 thou shalt not also go in unto the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and to drink for thus saith the Lord of hosts the God of Israel behold I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the mirth of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and so there there weren't really weddings taking place right then either so you know Jeremiah don't get married don't have children because uh, you know there's a time for that but this is not that time and so mirth is connected with uh, gladness I think mirth isn't it a form of incense maybe or a a fragrance or a ointment or something myrrh isn't that what they brought Christ uh, one of his three gifts the wise men brought the myrrh it's an embalming oh it is Mirth is like joy. Yeah. 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 Celebration. So it's not a time. So my teaching point here that I gave you is just Jeremiah's path is a lonely one. And if you're involved in ministry, you will experience that because, I mean, I tell my wife, and and we all know this, ministry is a little bit of a one-way street. And those of you that have children, I mean, it's it's icing on the cake if the child if your children, you know, do something nice for you, isn't it? Typically, it's you getting up in the night, it's you driving, it's you paying for this, it's you. So having children is a little bit like that. And so Jeremiah, by being told not to marry, he didn't have that help me, did he? He didn't have that person to share the burden of his uh, sorrows. He didn't have that person to talk to and tell what a bad day he had. Uh, so he was forced to uh, lean upon the Lord entirely and so I put the word lonely in your blank and I don't know if there's any other comments about that Uh, I know just seeing uh, you know Jim and the others let's see I think it was it was either Monday or no 
I forget if it was what day it was, but you know, sometimes I'm here doing things and I see people that. Uh, I mean, like Chris and Lauren were here all 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 hours, and they're just setting up. And Mitch and Jody, and Mitch and Jody were here, and uh, yeah. So just uh, people that uh, we, we all know, but it, a lot of their work is behind the scenes, and you know we just show up and everything's set up, and and but. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> so there's some loneliness in ministry, and I, I just wanted to kind of highlight that as we think about this uh, with Jeremiah. And, you know, when Elijah, you know, told the Lord that he's the only prophet left, you know, God reminded him there's still 7,000 that haven't knelt, knelt their knee to Baal. And so even though we're sitting here, just a few people this morning, we have a few people online, there are churches throughout the country, and there's Christians, you know, in uh, India right now that are suffering persecution, and uh, it's a lonely one, but we kind of go through it together, and it is comforting knowing that uh, you're not the only one who's not decided to go back to the world or to to uh, kneel uh, kneel to uh, the gods of this world but uh, we have hope of eternal life and uh, I, I thought about that this week some just eternal life I have eternal life that's that's pretty wild isn't it we, we're going to live forever we're going to rule and reign in the millennium and so these are things that uh, we uh, you know uh, we, we hope for it we're, we're looking for that finish line we're wanting to uh, be clothed upon that's one thing I'm reading I'm I'm just about to finish Ezekiel finally and uh, it talks about there's a room for the priest to change his clothes he, he wears certain clothes while he's ministering and I don't know exactly all that that means but you know one of these days we're going to step out of these bodies and we'll know as we're known and we'll experience uh, new bodies and uh, Pat I know the sickness you have you probably yearn for that uh, new body that uh, doesn't have all these pains and infirmities and so anyway but for here and now it uh, can be lonely but uh, there is you know our inner man is renewed day by day and so we we have we have we we suffer not as those without Christ, but we we suffer in hope. Uh, this next section, verses ten through thirteen of Jeremiah sixteen. Does anybody else have any thoughts just about loneliness or ministry that they want to share? I kind of stimulated your thoughts there a little bit, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is a roller coaster. I mean, I, the stuff that I do, you know, just, you know like, uh, I got a notification from him. I did too. That he's in Bates County. I did too. And it's like, wow, you know, what a roller coaster these people put us on. Yeah. Yeah, Jim's mentioning someone we ministered to in our recovery group that is back in jail again. For the eighth or tenth time that we know about, and so yeah, it's <clears throat> it's just heartening. But 
VBS is a payoff. That was I recharged everybody that was involved. Hmm. You know, stuff like that. It's good. We have to have a win sometimes. Hmm. That was a win. Hmm. Make up for the low periods. Yeah. I think that's a good point because there is a lot of loneliness in the yeah. ministry. But those times that you spend in your loneliness getting closer to Christ and God gives you a payoff where yeah. later you connect with someone somewhere and it just hmm. you get to lead them to Christ or you get to, you know, encourage them or or see something happen in their life that just makes it, yeah, this is eternal. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Well, in verse 10, there's some questions mentioned. and It's good that Jeremiah has this relationship with the Lord. He can ask questions. So 16.10 says, And it shall come to pass, uh, when thou shalt show this people all these words, and they shall say unto thee, uh, wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord? And uh, the thing I thought was interesting there is that it's against the Lord. And, and that's what the psalmist in Psalm 51, 4 says, uh, that he has sinned against the Lord and him only. And so we—that's just a good, because we, we we may sin against one another, but ultimately it, it's against the Lord. So, the Psalm 51 is where David was uh, confronted about his adultery with Bathsheba, and he—that's his prayer is Psalm 51 that he sinned against the Lord only, even though he committed adultery with another man's wife and had. Uh, the husband killed and so that that's what the end of verse 10 is saying that we've committed against the Lord our God and so God answers in verse 11 and 12 then shalt thou say unto them because our fathers have hearkened uh, I'm sorry I get my glasses on don't I Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law, and ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. And so they've they've done worse than their fathers, as bad as they were under uh, Manasseh. We talked about that last week. Uh, And they've caused others not to hearken unto me. And that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They received greater damnation because they... uh, uh, we're telling others wrong. That, that's the danger of false prophets is not only does the person talking do wrong, but they're leading others the wrong way. And uh, that, that's what he's saying there, that uh, you walked after an evil heart and uh, that they may not hearken unto me, that th- those that are listening to you. And he says, Therefore will I cast you out of this land, verse 13, into a land that you know not, neither ye nor your fathers and there shall ye serve other gods day and night where I will not show you favor 
And so since they were so determined to follow after false gods, you get to go to a land where they make you serve false gods. And uh, that, that was my teaching point there on the top of your next page is just... God's plan worked because uh, neither Christ nor the apostles mentioned idolatry in the New Testament except when talking about the practice among the Gentiles. And uh, I thought it would do us good. Uh, So let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10 together. We've got about 20 minutes still. Because this is kind of a premier chapter that warns us not to make the same mistakes as Israel made. So some of the things they did were for examples. (laughs) Do you ever, around our company, we used to have these inspirational posters. And, you know, it might be a ship and, you know, help other ships come into the harbor, you know. But one of them... uh, and maybe this is just a joke I read. I don't. It may not have been on the wall, but it said something like, "Some people's lives serve as an example of what not to do," or something yeah. like that. It's demotivational speaking. Maybe it's They're demotivational. Funny. <laughs> they are funny. <laughs> yeah. So some people's lives serve as a warning to others. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's so biblical. Yeah. In Proverbs. That's what First Corinthians is saying. Yeah. Don't don't follow after idolatry like some of uh, Israel did so 1 Corinthians 10 and I'll read these because we're not going to read all the way through but in verse 7 it says neither be ye idolaters so there's idolatry in the New Testament as were some of them talking about the people of Jeremiah's day as it is written the prophet I'm sorry, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then jump down to verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So, again, just this example of Israel. In verse 19, it says, What shall I say then, that the idol is anything... Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. So, some about idols in the New Testament. All the way down to verse 28. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So... Some of the Gentiles were doing idolatry in the New Testament and offering sacrifices, and he's telling his people not to partake of those for uh, conscience sake, and you don't cause any to stumble. So anyway, I thought those were good from the New Testament that talked about idolatry. But uh, anyway, their captivity broke them of captivity, and so sometimes God's got to show his people tough love, doesn't he? All right, back in Jeremiah 16. We are all the way down to verse 14. This chapter only got 21 verses. Um, 
So this is kind of a prophecy in verses 14 and 15. Uh, Angie, would you read those? Are you back there? Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the lands whither he had driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. So this... During Jeremiah's day, it's like everybody knew that God brought his people out of Egypt. And so he's saying in the future, it's not going to be everybody knows God brought them out of Egypt, but he brought them from the lands of the north and out of all lands. And so this is a prophecy of this remnant coming back from captivity uh, people that the famine didn't kill, the sword didn't kill, and the pestilence didn't kill. These that went into captivity and they were cleansed and purged of their idolatry, he is going to restore them. And I, I looked up most of these verses I gave you on your handout, but I thought we might just go through the excuse me, the underlying parts, the Jeremiah verses, because Jeremiah talks about this gathering of his people. So if you would, hold your place here and go to Jeremiah 30. And let's just, uh, each of us take a verse. uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 10. Uh, Maybe I'll start with you, Pat. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save thee from afar, and I see from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. So, so Jacob is really the one that had his name changed to Israel. And he calls him that there. God's going to save him and his seed from the land of their captivity. So there's a promise in Jeremiah uh, that they will return and be at rest in the promised land. And then 31.8, right here in the same area. 31.8. Pam, you want to read that one? Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. And with them the blind and the lame and the women, woman with child, and her that prevaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither. Yeah. So there's this return and gathering from other countries. Uh, 3237, Jimbo. 37. Yeah. 32-37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whether I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place, and I will Mm. cause them to dwell safely. So these are just great things of comfort to people that heard during that time. And and we'll talk about Israel's uh, return here in just a minute. But let's get through all these. uh, 33-7, Angie. 33-7. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first. Yeah. So kind of the same thing, this great promise. Uh, 46.27. Pat, we're back to you. 46.27. 
But fear, but fear not thou, O my servant Jacob, and be not dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save thee from afar off, and I see from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and be in rest and at ease. And none mm. shall make him afraid. So a lot of them just say very similar thing. He's going to save his seed from afar and the land of their captivity and they're going to return and be at peace. And then the last one, Pam, is 50 and verse 4. On those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek the Lord their God. Yep. And it's in those days, and uh, that's one of the things we teach in in, uh, discipleship too, that that's a key phrase about uh, the time of tribulation. It's a time of trouble, and we even even say when we're having a bad day, we're having one of those days. You ever have one of those days? Well, the Bible talks about those days as being very difficult, and that's the time that he's going to bring his children and purge them. And uh, they're going to actually seek the Lord their God at that time. So, anyway, those are, I thought those were just really good right out of Jeremiah himself. And uh, so now, now look at this next section. Uh, verses 16. I think it's verse 16. Uh, who, Jim, why don't you read 16? Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Yeah, so I want to talk about fishers in just a minute, but it says after the fishing, there's some hunters. And... uh, um, I've I've got a Ruckman study Bible here now, and he he talks about how uh, in World War II the Jew or the he it's called the he's got the German word for it Judenjagd or something like that. It's called a Jewish hunt that. Uh, the the Germans would the Nazis would hunt the Jews and and they would do just like it's saying here from all the lands uh, uh, every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks and so uh, and I didn't know this but he uh, Ruckman says here that uh, the he used the German word here, Schultzstabel. And it's that's where the SS comes from. It's a German word. Have we heard of the SS in that? The Schultzstabel. Schultzstabel. That's what I've heard of said. Okay. I didn't know what the SS uh, meant. I think they have that on their sho- shoulders, don't they? But yeah, it's a lightning, uh, two lightning bolts. Really? The Huh. And uh, so they they were literally hunted the Jews from every mountain, hill, and rock. And uh, I I'm not a great historian. I, I like I told Jim I like t- having people tell me about history, but I don't like reading it so much myself. <laughs> but do you know uh, Alan Shelby taught us 
the World War II basically lasted seven years, kind of from 38 to 45. And he, he said how that was really a picture of the tribulation. And he even brings up that how in the midpoint, there was something happened in the midpoint of World War II that that's when they started putting them in gas chambers and, and killing uh, just and it was one of Hitler's henchmen mm-hmm. uh, that, so something happened kind of in the middle of that seven year World War II and so anyway just a lot of uh, things about history uh, are you know we talk about those days and different things um, anyway you know, I, I got to go through the Holocaust Museum in in uh, Jerusalem, and it was really laid out very well because it started in in. Uh, in this fly. Yeah. It's the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> um, but anyway, when you walk in the museum. It talks about what happened in 1936 and 37, 38. It kind of goes by year, and it's got pictures and newspaper articles of what happened each year. And um, anyway, I don't don't know all. Uh, but then at the end, it, it's got kind of a map of Europe, and it shows how many Jews were killed out of each country, and it shows how Denmark and some others really helped helped the Jews. There were a couple of countries that helped the Jews, and anyway, just very uh, sobering and very very well done. And yeah, and they've got the Auschwitz Museum. It just opened last Monday. Uh, in downtown science center. So oh, really? We got tickets. Me and Chris and we're all going to go. Really? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the traveling version of that. So. Huh. So that that's one of the where one of the worst yeah. gas chambers yeah. was. Death camp. Some of them were work camps. Some of them were death camps. Auschwitz. I mean, just death camp. Well, one thing I learned how they gassed, because I was kind of listening to another tour kind of going through the Holocaust Museum, and the leader of that was saying, oh. He's showing your Bible. Yeah. Did you get it? No, it took off. I saw it. I saw it. But he... Best in the All right, so the... He said how the Jews were led into these gas chambers... I mean, there's like signs along the little path that, you know, you're going back to Zion. It's a good thing. You know, you're going back home. This is going to be great for you, the Jew. And they get him in the barn, so to speak, and shut the door. And he said they would uh, back their tank their up their, their tanks, and they would just funnel the exhaust off of their tanks. In t- That's how they gassed them, was the carbon monoxide. That, then they went to Cyclone B, because that was quicker. Okay. But I didn't know that, that they just hooked up the exhaust from their tank right to the building and gassed them that way. And, you know, there was just little cardboard mocks, uh, mock-up, uh, scale-down version, and it showed the path and the the building and the tank. And anyway, it's just all very interesting. But uh, let, let's talk more of a good thing here. Let, let's talk about this fishing. 
Because it says here in 16 that Jim read, he will send for many fishers. And all, I think all of us are probably familiar with Matthew 4.19 where Jesus told his disciples that he would make them fishers of men. And I, I put that verse on there, but, but let's look at these other three, the, the Habakkuk and the Ecclesiastes that we may not be as familiar with. If we can find Habakkuk. Let's see if I can. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. I think that's right. Okay, who's got one fourteen? Uh, and make us men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no roof over them. Yeah. So here it says, "Make us men as the fishes of the sea," and uh, so it, it it directly compares men to the fishes of the sea, and you know you know. Uh, more than once in the Bible, it talks about peoples as being uh, great waters. Uh, people are as waters, and you know, you know, even at Royals or Chiefs game, you know, you even do the wave, right? <laughs> I mean, you're waving like your hands, but it's also like a sea of people making wave. So it, it's both. And so these men are like fishes. And it's, it's interesting, uh, I didn't put this reference on there, but uh, Leviticus 11 talks about there's clean and unclean fishes that, uh, that the Jews could uh, eat, partake of. And so we know that there's lost and saved people. There's clean and unclean people. And... Um, Let's look at the Ecclesiastes 9 one there. <clears throat> so it's just very, uh, it's very thought-provoking to think about people as fishes. Uh, yeah, we, that's, that's good. I didn't think about that. Some go in schools and some of them are loners. Uh, who's got Ecclesiastes 9 12 a man knoweth for a man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an eagle net and as the birds that are caught in in the snare so are the sons of men snared in an evil time Hmm. when it falleth suddenly upon them yeah, so talk about men being taken in in a net uh, like fishes. So I, I thought that was a direct comparison as well. And uh, so that that's a little bit like maybe uh, Billy Graham Crusades. You know, that's kind of a net. They're fishing for mass evangelism or rather it's taking it to the streets or our 4th of July thing. We're going to directly go to that one. So that... And you know, uh, uh, I give this example before. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that he became all things to all men that he might be all, by all means save some. 
And uh, Pat, I don't know if you remember this. It was with Steve Miller in our shepherd school. He asked, are you able to save someone? And of course, a lot of people say, no, no, we can't save anyone. But Paul said that he might by all means save some. And so the way he illustrated this, I thought was really good, is that he said sometimes you see a fish that someone's caught, it's been mounted on the wall, and sometimes they'll they'll put the lure on the plaque with the fish that they caught it with. Mm-hmm. And he says Paul is like that lure. God saved him, but he used Paul to do it. And I just thought that was really good because uh, my grandpa... Uh, he had a, a room, it was called a den. I don't, I don't know if houses really have dens anymore, but it's kind of like the man cave in the early <laughs> yeah. 50s and 60s, I guess. But he he had, he had used to go up into Canada with his cousin, and, and he caught this northern pike. It was 30, 40, it's either 30-some or 40-some inches or 30-some or 40-some pounds. It must have been inches. I mean, for a little boy, I mean, this thing on the wall. And I remember him having the lure with it that he caught this fish with. And so it really illustrates. So in that sense, God can use you to save some too as well. Amen? And so uh, anyway, that, that may be enough time on this point here about fishing for men. But uh, so sometimes they're caught in nets. Sometimes they're just by the lure. And so you, you bait you bait for the kind of fish you're trying to catch and uh, somebody uh, in verse 19 back in Jeremiah 16 we only got a couple minutes I'll finish this up here Jeremiah 16 verse 19 the first half of the verse says O Lord my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction and so that, that's what I had you put in your blanks there. In, in the day of our affliction, the Lord can be my strength, my fortress, my refuge, just like He is for God's people in the Bible. And so we, we need His strength, uh, can be our strength, and He can be our fortress and our refuge in this day of affliction. So that that's a pretty comforting... Yeah. Now let's look at the very last verse here, 21. It will be finished. Uh, Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Now, in your blank there, what is the proper name of the Lord God in, in our Bible? Jehovah. It's Jehovah, yeah. So I, I had you put Jehovah in your... It's kind of His proper name. Uh, he was known to Moses as, you know, the I Am, that I Am hath sent thee. And it means the existing one. And uh, I put that that word for Jehovah... The Hebrew word is in our Bible over 6,000 times, 6,519 times. So it's in there a lot. It's it's a very... And uh, so 
you know, we were taught that the Jewish scribes would have to wash their hands either before or after, I think before they wrote the, this name. And so you can imagine a scribe, he wouldn't get very many verses before he would have to wash his hands. Okay, I'm getting ready to write the name of Jehovah. And uh, i got to be clean when I write this because it's going to be preserved for time. And uh, the people following need to have this as pure so anyway this is very it's very cool that it says twice in this verse that they will know and so I think knowing has just this intimacy and that's what I put in your teaching point is we too must know Christ and be saved by his name and that that's what Acts 4.12 talks about there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved and so we we are saved by his high and holy name and this is uh, when the when the Lord comes through for us you know praise his name it's a it's a holy name and we can know him and so Anyway, that that's chapter 16. You got what I gleaned out of it a little bit. Uh, any any other comments or questions? I know that's not exhaustive. We're we're kind of going fast, but um, we hope the Lord returns before I get done with Jeremiah. But there's 52 chapters, and we're on getting ready for chapter 17 next week. So uh, feel feel free to read ahead and be able to comment or uh, you know you probably get more out of it if you if you read it beforehand. But anyway, Pat, we're glad you're back, and I hope you uh, can fully recover from your health and. I'll just ask you to maybe pray for us as we dismiss. Is there any things, Jim, to pray about on the no, the Facebook or nothing additional? Come in. So thank you for joining us online. Yeah. Hope it's a blessing to you. Sitting there in the comfort of your home. So. Yeah. All right. Well, go ahead, Pat. Lord, we just thank you that we can we can still meet and uh, we can. 